If you've looked on the bulletin board um, in the foyer over the last uh, year, or this year, you see that a teen night is approaching on November the 8th. There are a few flyers on the table. Uh, <coughs> the advertisements for that will be going out in the mail probably tonight. But if you would like to help with that event, uh, you can see me at the door. I will not be here next Sunday, uh, so uh, keep that in mind. Uh, the sooner the better. Uh, but if you would like to help with that, with a game or whatever, uh, then let me know. We can use all the help we can get. This morning we talked about legacy, about what your legacy will be, what my legacy will be. And hopefully we saw how important it is to live a life so that we'll be remembered for the good that we've done, not for the silliness that we've lived or the sinfulness that we've lived or whatever we may want to call it. I think as we've been studying the apostles, we can see that they left a tremendous legacy. We have looked at the Apostle Peter, we've looked at Andrew, and we've looked at James. Tonight we're going to look at James's brother, John. The name John means Jehovah hath been gracious. He was from Bethsaida in Galilee. His father was Zebedee and his mother was Salome. His brother, obviously, was James. We've seen James was killed with a sword. John was a partner with Simon Peter in a fishing operation because we find in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10 that it says, And so was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. I think from this passage of Scripture we can see, and other passages of Scripture we can see, that they were close friends. James, John, and Peter. But on, or it was on the occasion, or many occasions, we can find that James and John were in Simon Peter's house, because it tells us in Mark chapter one and verse twenty-nine, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And so we see that there was obviously some friendship between the two or the three. And that they associated with each other. And I think that we see as a result of their friendship, their desire to serve God, that they were able to do and to accomplish great things. John was sent with Peter by Jesus to prepare the upper room. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 22 and verse 8, it says, And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And we realize that that was on the occasion where Jesus was going to be or instituted the Lord's Supper and on the same night that He was betrayed. And so it was an important mission that they were sent on. And we also see that John was in Jesus' inner circle. We talked about there was a group that was very close to Jesus that were able to witness certain things that others were not able to witness. On the Mount of Transfiguration, John was there. John is called the disciple whom Jesus loved five times. And that's found in John chapter 13, verse 23, chapter 19, and verse 26, 
chapter 20 and verse 2, chapter 21, verse 7, and verse 20. He authored five New Testament books. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the Revelation. All came from his pen. When we look at John, we can see his early discipleship that he was introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. I think that's something that's very important that we look at in that situation. Now here we see someone who recognized Jesus for who He was and wanted to tell someone else that that's Jesus. And I think that that's a lesson for us. John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ and he recognized who He was. Well, as Christians, we recognize who Jesus is. And we need to share that message with other people. And we need to look for opportunities to tell other people about Jesus. Because this world is... Messed up. There's a lot of sin-sick people in this world. There's people that feel hopeless. There are people that feel like there's nowhere to turn. And the good news is there is hope. But that hope isn't in some politician. It isn't in some government program. That hope is in Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus Christ that gives us that hope. That has the power to forgive our sins through His blood and our obedience to the Gospel. It is Jesus that gives us that hope of eternal life in the hereafter. It is Jesus that gives us that peace that passes all understanding. So yes, we should be excited about that. And we should be willing to tell other people about it. He spent time with Jesus. He followed Him to Cana, to Capernaum, and to Jerusalem where Jesus cleansed the temple. In all, he spent about seven months in Judea. When John began his discipleship, he was, you might say, a diamond in the rough. That he needed to be molded. And there's another lesson for us today. We sing a song, Just As I Am. He'll take me as I am. Because I can't cleanse my sin without the blood of Christ. But he doesn't expect me to stay in that sinful condition. He doesn't expect me to continue to do those things that I did in the past. He wants to mold me into His disciple, into His servant. And He can only mold me as much as I will allow Him to mold me. And it's not going to be done in some miraculous way. It's going to be done through our study of God's Word and taking that Word and applying it in our lives. So we need to understand that we can look at many different individuals in the Bible and we can see... They're rough edges. We can see some of the things that they did that were sinful. And we can see an about face when they associated with Christ. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 20 or 38 and 39. We see there that John was intolerant and he was also rebuked by Jesus tells us beginning in verse 38, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And he followed not us, and we forbade him, because he followed not us. 
But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name (coughs) that can lightly speak evil of me. Here John is wanting someone to follow him. To do it his way. To go the direction he wanted to go. And Jesus tells us here that as long as he's doing the right thing, he can go in the way he's going. Now, some may look at that verse and say, you go your way, I'll go my way. That's not what that's teaching. But there are some people that believe that when they have an idea, that that's the only way that something can be done. And that's kind of the impression that I get here by John. You go with us or you're going in the wrong direction. And that's what Jesus rebuked him for. And he needed to change. We also see that he was ambitious. We remember the same thing that happened uh, verses that we looked at with his brother. It tells us in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her, her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand, the other on the left, in thy kingdom. There was ambition that he had. There was ambition that his brother had. And obviously his mother was going to help make that happen. But Jesus reminds them that that's not for him to give. It appeared to be part of a successful fishing business. He was also related to Jesus. But when we look at him, we see that he had a temper. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 17... And James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. As I mentioned when we talked about James, that would be kind of a nice nickname to have. It sounds pretty tough, sounds pretty bold. And they were bold. But they needed to temper that in some ways. We see that he forsook Jesus in the garden. Mark or Matthew chapter 26 and verse 56. But all this was done that the scripture and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Can you imagine how each one of them must have felt? I think sometimes we read these passages of scripture and we just kind of look look at it and say to see what it says, but we don't put much thought into what took place. Here we have the disciples that had been told that, you know, Peter had been told he was going to deny Christ three times. And Jesus had told all of them that they were going to forsake him. But the one Peter, the, Peter wasn't the only one that says, no, no, not me. They all began to say that that wouldn't do it. And how many times in our own situation have we said that we're going to stand up for Christ? We're going to take the right stand. We're going to say no to what someone wants us to do that we know that we shouldn't do. We're not going to gossip or talk any more than say things that we shouldn't. Only to give in and do exactly what we said that we weren't going to do again. Sometimes when that happens in our own lives, we get very discouraged. We wonder how many times do we need to get up from that sin and continue on only to repeat that sin again later on in our lives. And sometimes that's very tough. 
But I think that that's one of the lessons that we can learn from these individuals that we're looking at and others in the New Testament that God is patient with us. That He loves us. Oh yes, we need to change immediately, but sometimes that's difficult. And for some, it's more difficult than others. That doesn't mean that we ignore their sin, but it means that we need to be patient. And that's one of the things that we do with love. Love is long-suffering. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. That means it suffers long. And so we're patient with people. We want them to change. And sometimes that patience pays off. And sometimes we need to take this another step to try to straighten the situation out. But He forsook them. He forsook Jesus. And we know that when Jesus... Or when Peter ended up denying Christ that he went out and wept. You wonder what all the others did. The Bible doesn't tell us. John's later discipleship, we see that he was willing to suffer. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 40 through 41, it says, Unto him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. You see the change that's taken place? James before might have wanted to call down thunder or fire from heaven and have these people consumed. But here he looks at it as a joyous opportunity to suffer the shame for Christ. You can see the change starting to happen. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He'd been exiled to that island. And why was he exiled? It tells us there, for the Word of God. For the things that he taught, the things that he believed, the things that he studied. And for Jesus Christ. Hard to separate the two, but that's, there's a difference there. And so what he taught about Jesus, what he believed about Jesus, caused him to be exiled. And we can see where others were actually put to death for their faith in Christ. And so you can see an individual who is willing to go through the turmoil, the difficulties that he has to face in this life. We can see that he loved God more than men. And that should be a lesson for all of us. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, we can't keep quiet about it. Why? Because it was the greatest news that man could ever hear. What's our attitude toward that greatest news? What if there was a law passed that you had to keep silent about Jesus Christ? That you couldn't tell people about God's Word? That day may come sometime. But what would your attitude be? James's attitude was, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
Why? Because that was the gospel message. In Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. I think that's kind of interesting the way that passage or what they said in that passage. We commanded you not to speak or teach in the name of Christ. But you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That sounds like everyone in Jerusalem had heard about the doctrine of Christ. Has everyone in Ypsilanti heard about the truth of God's Word? Has everyone in your community that you live in heard about the Gospel of Christ? Can we keep quiet about the good news? Do we want to share that good news? You know, sometimes when people talk about grandkids or their own kids and their accomplishment, you know, they can open their wallet, get up their purse, and there's all kinds of pictures that they can show people because they're proud of it. Someone at work starts talking about their kids. What do you say? Well, you ought to see my kids. And you try to one-up them. But what do we do about the greatest news or the greatest thing that's ever happened to any one of us? Can we keep quiet? And what if someone told us not to speak those words? Would we obey them? Or would we obey God? Because you see, it might cost you your freedom. It might cost you your life. But they were willing to pay that price because the message that they had was so important. He was bold. John was a bold man and a man of courage. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> you had to ever had to confront someone about a problem in their life and you knew that it wasn't going to be a pleasant thing to deal with? Because you knew their reaction wasn't going to be a positive one. That they were going to get angry. That they were going to get upset. So what do you do? Sometimes we just sit back and we do nothing. Because we don't want the confrontation. But it doesn't look like Peter and John were individuals like that. And the other thing that's kind of interesting in that passage of Scripture, they perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men. But they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Could people tell you've been with Jesus by the life you live? When you go into the workplace, when you go into school, when you go into the community, when you're even here at the building, can people tell that you've been with Jesus? You see, now physically they had been with Jesus. But we can only be with Jesus through the written Word. And what He tells us about Himself. Do we study it enough to know that Jesus did exactly what He came to this earth to do? He was bold. It's not easy to stand up and say what needs to be said when you know people aren't going to be happy with what you're saying. But if it's the truth, 
that gives you the courage. Because many of God's prophets stood alone when many people were turned against them. He was considered by Jesus to be trustworthy. John chapter 19 and verse 27, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, He then said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. And if you read some of uh, secular history, they believe that she stayed with John at his house for several years. Can you imagine saying, Behold my mother? Meaning, I want you to take care of my mother because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to die. You trust anybody that much? He was a leader. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. He was a pillar. He was a leader in, in, in the church. Didn't sit back and do nothing. He was a worker. What kind of legacy does he have? He's also known as the apostle of love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. One of the things that I read, <clears throat> he lived to be almost a hundred years old. And that to get to the services, to the worship service, there was people that had to pick him up and carry him into the service. And according to secular history or tradition, his words were always love one another. And he said it so many times that people say, why is that the only thing that you say? He said, because it was a command of Jesus. And if you do that, that would take care of everything else. Don't know how true that is. I do know how true that Scripture is, though. He was the first to believe in the resurrection. He was the first to the tomb. John chapter 20, verse 4 so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And then down in verse 8 it says, and, when they, and then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. That's important because we don't really realize or hear anything about did someone take him? Did something happen to his body? It just says he saw that it was empty. And he believed. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That was during the reign of Domitian. It is believed that he stayed there about 18 months. And then he was released under the reign of Nerva. Tradition says that he returned to Ephesus. And like Moses... Some of his best work was at an advanced age. There's another lesson for us. We're never too old 
to do work for Christ. I find it sad sometimes when I hear people say, when I retire, I'll do all of this stuff for the church. I'll do all of this stuff for the Lord. And then retirement comes, and they say, oh, I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the time. I think that we can look at some of these individuals and we see in the Bible that even at an advanced age, they were able to accomplish great things for the cause of Christ. He lived well into his 90s. It's believed that he worked in Parthia, uh, Turkey, Iran, and some say parts of Russia. He's the only disciple who died a natural death. The only one that wasn't martyred in some way. And he outlived all the apostles. He lived 68 years, or approximately 68 years after the death of Jesus. <clears throat> and the grave of John, like the grave of Moses, is known only to God. No one knows where he's at. So I think that there's a lot that we can learn from John, the life that we live, that he lived, is an example for us. Should give us encouragement to see what he did, to understand what he did, to see the things that he accomplished, and see how he changed from what he started out as to what he became. You think about it: the sons of thunder and the apostle of love. John, with the help of Jesus, changed. He got rid of his temper and replaced it with a loving disposition. And it was through the new birth that John wrote that we too can make the needed changes in our lives. It was John who recorded the event where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, talking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What's He telling us? Jesus is telling us through the pen of John that without that new birth, that we're not a child of His. And so we need to be baptized into Christ. That's that new birth that it's talking about. It's water baptism. And that's what puts us into Christ. That's where we come in contact with His blood. We've seen in various lessons lately the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, how that's reenacted and, and, and the picture is painted there in Romans chapter 6 about when we're baptized, that we represent the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Our old man of sin is crucified. We go down into that watery grave of baptism and we come up, we rise up out of that grave, a new creature. We don't go down a new creature. It doesn't say while we're in the water we're a new creature. But it says when we come up out of that water, we are a new creature. People will argue, I don't have to do that. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You want to argue with Jesus? 
Or would you rather let Him change your life and mold you into what He wants you to be as you study His Word? Tonight, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died so that you could have that relationship with God. So you could call God your Father. And so that you could have your sins washed away. He died on the cross, shed His blood in His death. And through that death, we have the opportunity <clears throat> to have salvation. Many of us in this room have, have seized that opportunity. And we've been buried with our Lord in baptism, that watery grave of baptism. For some, it may have been a long time ago. For some, not that long ago. But it was a time that we remember. I can still remember the day I did it. And I'm sure you can remember the day you did it. Because there's joy, not only in heaven, but in your own life and the people around you that care about you. And they're happy. And you obey that gospel. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, don't put it off. Don't wait any longer. Your simple obedience to what the Lord says can cause you to be saved. Maybe you are a Christian and you haven't been the example. But your legacy is not going to be what it should be. You can change that today. And you can go home today renewed, encouraged, and hopefully a changed person. And sometimes you may need our prayers and sometimes it may be something in your life that only you know about. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to take care of it between you and God. Or maybe it's a personal matter between you and somebody else. I suggest take, taking care of it between those two, you and that other individual. But sometimes what we do is in such a way that everyone knows about it. And the Bible doesn't say you have to walk down here and have a seat on the front row. We just give you that opportunity so that you can let others know that you're sorry for what you've done, that you've changed, that you want to be forgiven. And so tonight you have that opportunity as together we stand and sing.